Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? Challenges and resilience. Y'all, I was just down in Mexico for a little getaway. I drove down to Mexico, first time I'd ever done that. And it was so great. I was staying in this little condo. I was right on the beach. I could hear the sound of the ocean as I was sitting and reading, you know, bubblegum novels. It was just great and relaxing and exactly what I needed. And then coming back. Oh my goodness. So I knew I needed to be on the road to go over the border and all the feeder roads were closed. And not only were they closed, they had police officers on them. So like they were really, really close. And I kept trying all these different ways to get into the traffic going over the border and the traffic going over the border was intense. And so I'm sure that that's why they had all these feeder roads closed because there was so much traffic allowing people to just cut in. They decided wouldn't really work, but my phone wasn't really working. And so my navigation wasn't really working because the internet was really spotty and I don't speak Spanish very well. And so I got so frustrated trying to figure out how to get into the road to go play in the traffic to go over the border. I was only 30 miles south of the border. It took me two and a half hours to get onto the right road, and then three more hours to get over the border. And, but it was that two and a half hours, it was that first two and a half hours where I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get into the traffic to go over the border to get back home, where I found myself so frustrated that I actually cried to a police officer who didn't speak any English (laughs) about my frustration. And it got me thinking about how, you know, it used to be before COVID, before George Floyd was murdered, before all we were homeschooling all of our kids and dealing with all of the things that we've all been dealing with, for the last two years and a month that, you know, our baseline would be somewhere chest high or tummy high and something would happen and 
it would be a little hard to manage, but we would get through it. But now baseline for so many people, including me, is like in the middle of our forehead. And so something happens and we're immediately underwater. It's hard to have resilience in the face of challenges, which brings me right to my guest for today. Dr. Emmy Grisito has been developing, promoting, and implementing positive communication and conflict support skills for over 27 years. Her doctoral research focused on helping communities learn how to get along. She's partnered with organizations such as BMO, Rainmaker, Seven Geese, Toronto Starts, Chartered Professional, HR, Access Youth, the University of California, and Empower Lives. She's the published author of Your Beautiful Trauma. What a title, man. Your Beautiful Trauma, a practical guide to helping you convert crisis to full-scale transformation. Welcome, Emmy. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you are welcome. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I love your intro. And I, if I can just dive right in, I love Please. how you made the point where maybe pre-COVID we were all sort of chest high mm-hmm. and now we're closer to just above our eyebrows. <laughs> And so that it takes that so little to have us, you know, flip our lid or lose our composure. That is such a great way of framing exactly what I'm seeing in my practice every day. So tell me about what you're seeing in your practice every day. Well, I mean, since COVID, there have been so many things that have shifted Mm -hmm. and Just to add to what you have, you know, to your personal example, I also work in schools with children and a fellow counselor had said, since COVID, there has been the George Floyd in Canada here. There's also been the reckoning with the First Nations and all our past. And there's also been a much bigger conversation around gender. Yeah. And so, so much of the curriculum for children has now changed. And that is true. All of these big idea changes have informed and have created a sense of stress, positive or negative. It's a, it's a stress that now puts us a little more over the edge Mm -hmm. to where we were prior to COVID. And so the response that I'm seeing is that smaller incidents are creating uh, big issues for organizations, for schools, for families, for individuals. What's what's most personal is universal. And so what's happening outside is also happening internally and vice versa. Yeah, so I'm really seeing that. Yeah. And so what do we do in this mess? How can we begin to develop 
you know, because one of the things, one of the many places where you and I connect is in understanding what are some of the causes of what's happening. And one of the things that I got hooked on, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago is uh, neuroscience is what's happening in our brain. Right. And as you know, our brains hate uncertainty. It's the reason that I will pick a fight with my husband just to get certainty about something, even if by picking that fight, I'm going to get the answer I don't want. My brain is still, because it hates uncertainty, it's going to push me, unless I'm being conscious about it, it's going to push me to pick a fight with him to get what I don't want to get just to get certainty. And so our brain is swimming in so much uncertainty. And it's part of the reason that our resilience, our ability to handle one more thing is so low. And so what ideas or tips or thoughts do you have around how we can use our collective and individual trauma to transform? Right. How can we create more resilience? So I'm going to pick up again on a on just such a very important thread that you've once again alluded to here, and that is this tug of war with certainty and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I have the same issue here, Janine. I wrote a blog about my addiction to certainty. <laughs> and the reality is, is that our brains need certainty and our brains need uncertainty. And oh. so uncertainty is how we learn how our brain figures out what to do when it's in danger. Mm -hmm. It's the practice that it requires to hone our skill set. That is our social emotional landscape. Mm -hmm. So the piece that I want to bring forward is that we have more and more tools to make our world feel certain or comfortable Or give us this illusion of ease. (laughs) And what it's doing is inadvertently, it is weakening our resilience muscles because we will take the practice, we will do the easy, and we are biologically sort of in that vein. We want to do what's easy, but because we have so much access to ease. Mm-hmm. We are not getting the practice of unease, uncertainty, mm-hmm. and discomfort. Mm-hmm. So again, what I see with clients when I'm speaking with them one-on-one or when I'm working with children is that pain mm-hmm. is now discomfort, mm-hmm. like that we are becoming less and less able to say, I'm uncomfortable versus mm-hmm. I'm in pain. Huh. And that's really, really important to frame our world around discomfort Uh because it's our job to manage our discomfort. And again, we are, we have this biological imperative. We were trained in our millions of years in our evolutionary (laughs) biology to figure out things from a very early age to problem solve. And we've, been taking that away Mm -hmm. in the guise of certainty or safety. Mm -hmm. So in some ways we have to bring back 
discomfort. Mm. And we have to bring back this. And then again, I, I use the word illusion, right? This illusion of safety. Because mm-hmm. if it's just about being safe, and we if we are always safe, our brain never has an opportunity to build a skill set of learning what to do to mm. manage itself mm-hmm. and picking up the cues of comfort versus distress, versus Mm -hmm. pain, Mm -hmm. versus danger. Oh, I love what you're pointing to in this. I mean, I love everything that you said, but especially I want to pull out this thread around this idea that we have collapsed discomfort and pain. Yeah. And I had an opportunity about a month ago, a little over a month ago to present at the U.S. Navy's first conference on diversity. And while I was there, one of the other presenters was talking about living outside our comfort zone. Mm. And he had this great line, which was, how many peak experiences have you ever had inside your comfort zone? And of course, the reality is zero. Peak experiences don't live in our comfort zone. They don't live where things are easy. They live where things are a little hard. They live where we've got a little bit at risk. They live where we are challenging ourselves or learning something new. And so this idea that we have collapsed uncertainty and discomfort and pain and made them all the same, I think is really important because once we distinguish that, then we can start to uncollapse them. Then we can start to pull them back out. And okay, so like, yes, if I had a magic wand, I would love it if I could just be X. You know, if I had a magic wand, I would love it if I could just lose some damn weight and never gain it back again. I'm a human who has struggled with my weight my entire life. I would love that magic wand. And all humans are designed that way. We want the quick fix. We want the thing that is easy. And when we can remember that it's going to make our brain more healthy and that peak experiences happen outside of our comfort zone and that the, the juice of life is not lived when things are easy. The juice of life is lived when things are challenging. So how one of part of what I hear you say is one of the tricks is to start to decouple discomfort with from pain from just, you know, like kind of that's a little uncomfortable. I don't really like it very much Mm -hmm. and realize that those times when we are uncomfortable. I mean, one of the things I say to clients maybe more than I should, but is, you know, we get to get comfortable with being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because I'm often working with people around having challenging conversations about whatever it is that's happening inside their organization that needs to get put to right. And so they get to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so what if in our lives we were to realize we get to get comfortable being uncomfortable and it's part of what's going to make our brains more healthy. Exactly. And (laughs) it is necessary. So 
This is Augusta Boal's words, but it's what I use a lot in my work, and that is safe enough to be dangerous, creating uh, cultures that are safe enough to be dangerous. And it's tell me exact- more about that. What does that mean? Well, it's exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. We need to have spaces that are not sanitized where people are afraid to speak yep. or to be out of line, which is really what I'm starting to see in our, I mean, in universities and higher learning, but like in all our systems, as we're going from, you know, the natural pendulum swing from one extreme, and now we're on this other side. Yep. And there's this frozen fear of saying or doing the wrong thing for public humiliation or, or whatnot. That's one piece of it. And so if we are able to have a community, a culture where we can be diverse, where we can be uh, sharing opposing opinions, where we are able to hold differences and feel okay, not comfortable, not, (laughs) but okay. And this is why for me, conflict is transformative or potentially Mm -hmm. transformative because any conflict is both personal and universal. There is a piece inside that is not sitting well with us. And we are often, especially if we don't have that skill set and practice and resilience, we will throw it out on the outside world. You are the problem Mm -hmm. versus there's a piece here that I need to pay attention to. It's a to and fro movement and with it, an opportunity Because whatever conflict I have, there's a block, there's a piece there that's allowing me to go not past this point. Mm. So, for example, I mean, you you brought up a size. So, I mean, I've also had uh, similar situations. And there was a time when I was super uncomfortable with my size. And if somebody said something about my weight, that was my edge. Like I would go into like either completely external or I would push it all out like boom, boom. So internal or external. And it's not okay for somebody to make fun of your size, but it's also my information about what is my piece here that needs my attending to. And the example is now if somebody says something, it doesn't bother me. They might Mm -hmm. say it. I might say, ouch, or, you know, wow, or find another way, but it doesn't have the same resonance. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. That's an example that's happening right now in our culture as we're debating and having these conversations inside Mm -hmm. our corporate and our workplaces, Mm -hmm. in our homes, Mm -hmm. you know, on the playgrounds. These are the things that are brewing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I love what you're pointing to there because so much of the way that we view the world is through our own personal lens. You know, so if I am looking at the world through the lens of a woman who has struggled with her weight her whole life, I'm going to see things and hear things and take things in a very particular kind of way versus if I am looking through the lens, which I also have, 
as a strong, powerful woman, as Mm -hmm. an executive organizational development consultant, as an organizational leader, I'm going to be looking at things through a very different lens. And so something that you would say to me, because of the lens that I'm looking through, and then because of the story that I've made up about it in my own head, it's going to land very different. And you know, so in looking at conflict and in looking at the doctoral work that you did and in looking at the world in which we now live, in which so many of us, for whatever our particular set of lenses and circumstances and stories are, we hear something or somebody says something and rather than assuming positive intent, we assume negative intent or we hear it through our own pain, through our own trauma lens. And then it creates conflict, which may or may not be the way that they intended it to be received. And so what then do we do with all that mess? Well, and so I'm going to like put this again in another, the same context. So this is that safe enough to be dangerous. We need both. We need that side of you that is strong, a leader, that knows herself and workplace culture is great with that frame. They like that one. Right. right? And so you get to do that and that gets celebrated and gets a lot of pings, but we also need to celebrate and bring and attend to that vulnerable piece, you know, and this is the challenge in workplace with adults. It's at work and at work, you know, I cannot share What's that internal shell? I can only be this, not that, Mm -hmm. right? I can be the leader. I can be strong. I can make good decisions and be decisive. I can even make errors. Mm -hmm. I got to be strong about it. Right. But we lose, we lose, and it becomes dangerous if it's just the extreme. Mm -hmm. And on both ends, because what I'm seeing now is, is that, the vulnerability side is now becoming an extreme and we're getting lots of pings for uh-huh. our vulnerability uh-huh. or being the harmy, like right. the victim. And I don't like that word, yep. but though either of those extremes won't work, we need to find a place where we're in the middle, where both get honored, where we create places that are safe enough where you get to be vulnerable where you get to be strong, where you get to be successful, right? Because that's also who gets equal access success, but also equal access vulnerability. We need that balance. And it changes all the time. So I'm just going to, there's an activity that I do and I work with. And again, it comes from some of this, from theater of the oppressed work. Hmm. And it's a game where you are facing a partner And you grab each other's sort of elbow to elbow. Okay. And you have to push as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. And then when you find that someone's a little stronger or weaker, you're always trying to find the balance. Mm -hmm. So, and if you're doing it and you've got to constantly put some energy into it, right? That is safe enough to be dangerous. It's the experience Mm -hmm. where you are putting some energy. You're able to connect. Yep. 
And it's a moving target. It evolves. Mm-hmm. It's not always, it's not stagnant. And you are not doing power over. So there's a power share. But at the same time, I get tired or I take a breath. And so you've got to lean lean farther forward. Or That's the metaphor. That is a physical feeling and experience of, in my view, healthy cultures, healthy Mm -hmm. families, healthy Mm -hmm. dynamics, and Mm -hmm. safe enough to be dangerous spaces. Hmm. And I I love that metaphor because part of what it's pointing to, you know, just like where we started, we want things and we think they should be easy. We think it should be easy to manage people. It's the reason, it's the reason that we promote, you know, in great performers who are great individual performers and then never train them in how to manage because we think it should be easy to manage. It is in fact not easy to manage. Well, it's easy to manage, but we may be managing quite poorly. It is not, it is a skill to manage well. And so part of what you're pointing to or part of what that exercise I mean, I can feel it as you're describing it, is that in an organization, in a relationship, nothing, in fact, is easy and nothing is stagnant. And so there's always going to be a push-pull. There's always going to be an opportunity to learn. There's always going to be an opportunity to get a little uncomfortable. You're pushing harder than I want to push right now. And so we get to modulate that together. So I love that idea. I love the physicality of that concept. When we find ourselves either overwhelmed or in conflict that we don't know how to navigate through, based on your incredible body of research and work and understanding, what are ideas or tools to help us either manage ourselves or reframe the conversation in our head or reframe the conversation with the person or people with whom we're having a challenge. Okay. So I'm going to give you some quick and dirty tricks and tips. Great. So it is death by a thousand cuts, life by a Um, thousand efforts. And so there's small repeated practices, that is how you train your brain, your moral brain, you know, what you're doing, your moral practice Mm -hmm. is in your body, right? It's in that nervous system, that polyvagal nerve. So number one, you need to manage you before you're looking at the person in front of you, you need to think about you. Mm -hmm. And so the work is what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. Can you name your feeling? This is becoming increasingly more difficult for my Mm -hmm. clients. Like, what are you feeling right now? Mm -hmm. And if you can't name that feeling, then think about how much energy do you have in your body from zero to 10, how much energy is in your body. And that will also give you a sense of what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. So in general, if five is, I'm calm, I'm ready to listen, I'm ready to learn. Mm -hmm. Anything in the six, seven, eight range could be frustrated, anxious, worry, nervous, angry, 
mm-hmm. annoyed, like as we're moving up the ladder. Right. And so that means you have more energy in your body. Your body thinks because we still have the biological tools of that fight or flight and that right. it's a predator. It's something that's physically in danger. Our body still responds that way. Yep. So we've got all this chemical we've got all these chemicals we need to get rid of. So we need to find what helps us move. Mm. And we can't, if I'm frustrated, I can't learn my brain's off. So what works for me to get rid of this energy mm-hmm. though, we need to develop that toolkit in our own worlds where we're doing this on a regular basis, not when we're elevated, right. but when we have those tools. So that's important. So doing practicing this when you're not in a in a heightened state. state. Yes. Yeah. Right. In a high state of arousal. Right. Or even in because again, we're having trouble recognizing it. A high state of arousal now might be hard to recognize. Mm. So when we are feeling discomfort and mm-hmm. there's energy in our body, what can you do to move that energy? For some of us, it's breathing. For some of us, it's walking. For some of us, it's doing heavy lifting. Hmm. Again, it's very, uh, all these mechanisms are often physical. Mm-hmm. So find your toolkit. My website has a lot of ideas. There's also a free manual that helps you kind of explore your anger, your conflict your, you know, what gets you mad. And it also has a huge list of ways in which you can manage that. And you can download that for free. There's lots of free, you have access to a lot of free resources online that give you the whole pile of them. And that Uh, tool that you were just mentioning, is that on your website? It is on my website. Wonderful. And so in the show notes, y'all, there will be a link to Emmy's website. And so you can go and grab that tool for yourself. Right. And on the website, there's a lot of blog posts and a lot of them are very practical. So they will look at like what's one strategy and kind of unpack it a bit more and say why. So let me just share maybe one or two that you might not have thought because a lot of like the breathing and the, and moving is a big one. So, and I mean, now we're talking about a pet is great especially dogs. Mm -hmm. I'm a big dog lover. Uh, Dogs have been with us for a long time. They are the first animal that we domesticated Mm -hmm. and they help calm our nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so we have the symbiotic. So like having a pet, Mm -hmm. uh, especially one that you can connect with or actually pet or hold connection with fidgeting, like finding ways to fidget. To manage some of that nervous energy Uh is a tool. Uh And so is sound. So sound can help us. So either we don't do well with sound and need to block it out. So that's Uh for some of us who, when we have too much sensory information, Uh we can put those overloaded. That's right. Or a sound that you make like a humming or a mantra, or a chant, like all of the things that historically were pieces of culture also help manage our nervous Mm. systems. Interesting. And while you were 
talking, I was noticing the fact that I make that sound. Hmm. Like I make that sound a lot when I'm listening to somebody who's saying something interesting. And so I'm wondering, I mean, obviously part of what I'm doing is affirming. So it's a, you know, nonverbal, although obviously auditory connection. But I wonder if part of what I'm doing is using sound to signal my brain, like pay attention to this. Right. You're putting a little footnote or a bookmark on Uh that space. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of sound in part because I just had the opportunity to be down in Mexico and got very present to the fact that one of my calming sounds, well, my two biggest calming sounds are ocean and rain. And so, you know, obviously I am a water baby. And so, you know, the movement of water, the crashing of the ocean on the shore the sound of rain hitting the earth. I love it when it rains to get in my car and listen to the sound of rain on the hood of my car. And so having some of those sounds that we can either play or just pull up in our auditory banks when something is happening where we could really use some resilience, where we could use some self regulation. Mm -hmm. I really love that. One of the things that I remember sometimes in these kinds of situations is that the feeling of anxiety is the same feeling as excitement. Like it lives in my body in the same place. It all lives sort of in my upper chest around my right underneath my collarbone area. That's where I feel excitement. And it's where I feel not the anxiety, like, am I going to be able to figure out how to get to the border? But my, my anxiety, like, how's this conversation going to go? Or I'm not sure what the next thing to do or say is. It all lives in the same place for me. And so it's part of what I think of as the front of the hand and the back of the hand. Like so many of our experiences, if we turn our hand around, anxiety, fear, if we turn it around, excitement, fear, if we turn it the other way, we might be able to see it from a different perspective. And so sometimes one of the things that I do is public speaking and I can get that butterflies in my stomach feeling that can feel like fear or anxiety. And if I can transform that to excitement, I am excited about this. I am at stake in this. Then it enables me to have a different experience of myself in that moment. And what you just did is a great example of another practice. And that is the where do you feel it? Mm -hmm. So you have a good amount of awareness in just being able to say, my anxiety, my excitement, they live here. Mm -hmm. And to know that and to name that is a way to manage your anxiety, fear, your feeling. So what do you feel? Where do you feel it? Those are some of the primary ways of managing that internal conflict. 
I just want to give you some quick ones for the external conflict because those are the ones that my clients are often, they'll go, yeah, yeah, but how do I manage (laughs) my boss? And then, yeah. So number one, what do you feel? Where do you feel it? All that stuff that we are sort of call the touchy feely, you know, (laughs) is actually critical and it's the base. If you don't know you, you can't manage you when you're coming in. You're going to be reactive. Right. And you need to have a sense of self and what's happening there. And when down the road you're ready, you will have access to being able to manage and heal that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And when you do, you get a freedom because that place is no longer a stop for mm-hmm. what comes next. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is about helping you become free. Mm -hmm. When somebody is angry or upsetting to you, you have all kinds of options. So I'm going to give you a few. Number one, somebody says something in public to you. You can make a quick public comment like, ouch. Ooh, Mm -hmm. wow. That's uh, I wasn't expecting that. Right. Mm -hmm. And again, you put a placemat there. Because that, you know, for most of the time, that is not the time or place. Right. The boss undercutting you in front of clients or others repeatedly by these small little statements. Then when you are going to have that conversation, you say, Jeff, um, I don't feel good about blank. I'd like to find a time where I can have a good conversation about it with you. Mm-hmm. So find a time. And find uh, and give them the heads up. You're gonna you're gonna be talking about this, and then be very very clear and direct. This is what you said at the thing. I heard you say this. I heard you say this. And then you give them time, and you then slow down the conversation by paraphrasing back what they're saying, and having time for their brain to understand what's going on. The other piece I'm going to say is when you go into a conversation, make sure you know what you want. Mm -hmm. The end result is what are you like? Mm -hmm. Never go in to just vent. Mm -hmm. That's what friends are for. Right. (laughs) (laughs) When you're having those one-on-one, you got the, it's about, you want to be as clear with the information Mm-hmm. And then you bought, you have to be clear on your want. So by the end of the conversation, like I want to hold my relationship with my boss. Right. I don't want him to be your afraid of me. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I could go on, but there's yeah. a lot there. If you can just do those things you, uh, and practice those ideas. But number one, your biggest bang for your buck is today. Start thinking about how to manage you. Yeah, I love that. And I obviously would completely agree. And I also love, I love the tool of paraphrasing Mm -hmm. because it makes sure that you're actually hearing the other person and it gives them an opportunity to correct something if you heard something wrong or if really what you heard is what they said, but that's not what they meant. And so it gives them another opportunity to try it again. And even more than that, I love the way that you framed it, which is an opportunity to slow the conversation down. 
because when we get into any conversation where we have the opportunity for conflict, and obviously a conversation like this is rife with the opportunity for conflict, our brain is going to get hijacked. And so the more that we can slow the conversation down, the more opportunity we have to re-engage our brain, get out of our ancient brain and into our thinking brain, and the more opportunity they have to do that too, if we're having a slower conversation. And, you know, obviously when we get slower, we usually also get a little more resonant in our voices. Our voices often get a little deeper and, and that, and just that can be calming. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, using those auditory tools, getting into our deeper voice, speaking slower, listening intently, I think that those can be keys in layering on what yeah. you're talking about. And everything you just said, Janine, is not natural for our brain. Right? We're <laughs> gonna right. go, as soon as these under threat, we, our brain goes fast, our talking right. goes fast. And we lose our hearing and sight, right? So yep. those are some of the, our sight. That's uh, why we see man. red, literally. Yeah. Yes. So that is like, that is the other big, big one for me is rehearsal. Uh-huh. Practice, practice, practice. <laughs> this is, you need to rehearse. You need to rehearse and you need to rehearse. So it's about plan it, practice it, rehearse it. And the more you do, the better you get at it. And you will never be perfect. <laughs> it doesn't matter you know, how many years you got on you. And it's not about that. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I could talk to you forever, but, um, <laughs> but we, <laughs> we should probably begin wrapping this up. So before I do, is there anything that we've touched on or something we haven't touched on yet that you were really hoping we would talk about where you would love to leave people for today? I'm sure this is information overload. So we we covered a lot. I we've already chatted about it, but again, there's just a lot of free resources about any of this information and you're welcome to it. Yeah. To me, this is my life practice. This is about helping us be better and do better and get those opportunities for transformation that conflict and crisis allow if we let it. If we let it. Uh. I love it. Thank you, Emmy. This has been a wonderful, rich conversation. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.
might need a political science degree to get a grip on my anxiety. So all out of learning and store, reading and training, you're listening more. Mm -hmm. Education, liberation, love, the truth empowering me. I'm making.